Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 64, The Sounds of Summer, 1996. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This episode, I'm taking a look back at the summer of 1996, which was 20 years ago. More specifically, I'm taking a look at what was big in music in the summer of 1996. Uh, this was the summer after my first year of college, so it was uh, I was about 19 years old. It was a pretty big time in my life in terms of, of music and, and movies and, and TV and everything, but music especially because, uh, as I'll get into later on, this was a time where I was starting to expand my musical horizons beyond what I was listening to and what my friends were listening to in high school. But I'm not alone in this particular adventure. Uh, a little while ago, uh, Amanda and I sat down one evening and went through a few things, uh, most notably the program from the 1996 HF Festival, which is a radio station-sponsored musical festival in Washington, D.C., and we talked about the bands that were playing there because she was at the concert, I was not. Then we just kind of talked about some of the random groups and, and things that were popular back in 1996 and back in the mid-90s. But first, I'm going to take a quick break, so stick around. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com.
So I um, th there's a there's a story behind uh, there's a story behind the this episode their conversation anyway because a, few, a couple of months ago I was cleaning and I was cleaning out I well, I I was looking for something in a box of that was marked high school and college stuff and I decided to then clean up and empty the box put stuff in the bin yada 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 I came across in a box of your stuff from high school and college, this program, which is from uh, the June 1st, 1996 HF Festival. Yes. At RFK Stadium. So um, this is from a time, this is from a time before you and I actually were met. met. Well, no, we were, we were talking. We were and writing letters to each yes, other. Yes, but we, we weren't dating yet. Mm-mm. This is from the before time. Yes. <laughs> when you still had a chance to run and foolishly did not. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I was, um, I was up in, so you were, you were down in Stafford for the summer because this was the summer between our first and second year, second year of college. Mm -hmm. I was up on Long Island all summer. Um, but the HF festival, I obviously, WHFS is not around no. anymore from, from what it, it was back in the day. So. There are a number of people who listen to my podcast who may know what WHFS was, but a ton of them are going to be like, you know, obviously it's a radio station, but, and the HF Festival is a concert, but what was HFS? What was the HF Festival? Just to, just to kick yeah. us off to give us some context. So for young people in the mid-Atlantic, um, the uh, WHFS was a radio station based out of Baltimore. If I'm correct, right? It was Baltimore-based? Baltimore or Washington? I could have sworn it was Baltimore. Because we didn't get it in Stafford all the time. Okay, depending be, on the signal. Or might um, be either way. Either Baltimore, way. Washington yes. Area. So for, again, for, for youths in the mid-Atlantic, <laughs> WHFS was the station for alternative music. So when you had this alternative, quote-unquote, alternative boom in the early 90s, or even you could say the late 80s, depending on how hipster you want to be about it. Yeah. Um, HFS was the uh, the station of choice, so that's where you would hear Nirvana and the Chili Peppers and pretty much everyone on this list. Um, mm -hmm. You'd hear uh, the Afghan Wigs and Smashing Pumpkins. Not that Smashing Pumpkins were at HFS full. Just your typical indie and then not so indie bands as alternative kind of blew yeah. up. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Uh, for this afternoon's feature attraction. Put one hand on your radio. H. F. S. 
Somewhere along the line, there's been a deviation from the norm. Washington and Baltimore's modern rock station. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach. 99.1. Because it leads to the future. Yeah, I, I believe at one point or another they started referring to themselves as modern rock. Yes. Was the But was I the think tag. that's appropriate because I mean and you know, I'm no expert, I'm no, you know, DJ nerd or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but I mean modern rock kind of made more sense because the alternative label started to get so sort of bastardized by the mid nineties yeah. that nobody really knew what it was. So I think you know, modern rock probably made more sense and it probably harkened back more to like, again, like I was saying that late eighties where it all, I mean, when you're looking at like the cure mm -hmm. and, um, oh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking like Morrissey and you know, those, you know, Morrissey's first group, what was the it? Smiths. The Smiths. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Oh, and, and then like, yeah. Cause, cause there's the sort of post new wave. I mean, because that I had a friend who I am friends with on Facebook, shout out to Amanda Kassler, who had every um cure t-shirt i think known to man and we rode the bus together to middle school so i mean that was 89 yeah so you know it um it, it was definitely late 80s not necessarily like nirvana came and then suddenly everything suddenly modern rock existed mm -hmm. it existed before yeah and i remember people who were older than me in high school because i never got into the cure in high school but there were people who were my age slightly younger but also definitely older who were listening to the cure and um the pixies and uh and there was this string of, of just this this thread of people running through and i knew there were a few people in my class because they had older brothers who would hand down tapes of underground alternative punk and hardcore so yeah uh the Dead Kennedys and um, the Circle Jerks and I can't remember if Fugazi was around. Yeah. At that point, yeah. Well, because and, Fugazi came out of DC. Yeah, so yeah, and and yes, so I, I and my I think my minor threat and like so I heard a lot about a lot of those bands even though I'd never really heard them but yeah the the Chili Peppers and and then I I first discovered HFS when I was at Loyola for my first, for my freshman year, because there were two stations that anybody listened to. It was that and a station that was 98 Rock, which was probably the biggest, the, the best one, to give you some context as to what 98 Rock was in Baltimore, was pretty much like DC 101. Yeah. You know, you're straight up. It played a lot of the alternative stuff, but it also played a lot more of the mm -hmm. mainstream. And of course, by the late 90s and the early 2000s, Ugh. Um, <laughs> so you had the rise of, of Limp Biscuit, and I think Limp Biscuit is probably the like the just symbolic of just well, and awful. Corn and Creed, Creed and Ugh. Britney Spears. I mean, everybody loves Britney now, but I mean, it was so bad. It was hard. It was hard out there mm -hmm. for a college graduate in the early yeah, it was in and the then, early aughts well, slash late nineties. And the format couldn't sustain sustain itself anyway because HFS went all Spanish language. I think in early two thousand five. WHFS, Annapolis, Washington D.C. Transmitiendo desde la ciudad capital de América. Esta es tu nueva radio. 99.1 FM. Yeah, maybe. We were in Charlottesville already, and I remember reading a story on, I think it was the Post, and they went, mm -hmm. they went all Spanish language, and they did it like out of the blue. Nobody well, that really. Well, that was when a lot of radio was having an identity crisis yeah. because you had the advent of, you know, streaming and iPods mm -hmm. and, you know, 
people weren't buying CDs anymore and everybody yeah. was just generally freaking the hell out about all of it. So, I mean, I think that's when, that was around the time I think that um, Mix 107.3 started, like, getting more, you know, up to date and playing, like, Calvin Harris or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it a lot of radio stations had sort of identity crises mm-hmm. around that time. But the HF Festival, sorry, yes. to, no, no, to, to get bring us it back home, on topic. Um, it was a yearly um, concert that um, would bring together a bunch of sort of key HFS artists. Um, I actually ended up going to this festival kind of by accident. Um, my my good friend at the time, Chris Burrow, he was a good friend of mine from high school. Um, we had actually pretty much been arguing on and off my entire first year. The transition to college was a little challenging for both of us. But um, in the spring of uh, 96, he kind of called me up and he was like, hey, so um, he was talking about the HF Festival. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Chris, whatever. You know, I told you I don't have tickets. And he's like, now you do. Okay. And so he, his awesome mom had bought us two tickets. And so that's how I ended up going. So it was, you know, it wasn't intentional. I wasn't, you have to realize, and I don't want to bore anyone, although I guess that's kind of the point of this if you're sitting here listening to me talk, <laughs> poor suckers. But when I was in high school, my musical tastes were really diverse. So I wasn't like hardcore goth alternative girl. I wasn't like into like a lot of pop. I was into all of it, but mostly I was into um, hip hop and rap. And so I woke up every morning and since we're being nostalgic about radio stations, my radio, which was literally with a tuning knob and yeah, I had I like have, the, yeah. that like Jesus cross of mm-hmm. antenna wire yeah. tape, like tacked up to my wall. Every morning I turned on the, um, Donnie Simpson in the morning show on WPGC. <laughs> so that's typically wow. what I would listen to. But I also, I mean, I had Stone Temple Pilots, I had Nirvana, I had like, oh, I mean, so I liked everything. So me going to this festival was kind of hysterical because it's kind of like if Rachel Green went to some sort of alternative music festival. So it was, um, which is kind of funny because I, I wore like the Rachel Green, um, uh, overall look where she wore yes. them, but the overalls were undone, and so they're just kind of flapping around what, with like a baby tee. Mm-hmm. That's what I wore in the hot as hell environs of R- RFK Stadium in 1996. So, um, so that's kind of how I ended up going to this festival, and I'm, I'm shocked that I had the wherewithal to even keep this program. <laughs> I, well, that's that's why I found it I, I found it amusing that you kept that, not that amusing that you kept it because I was also sifting through what seemed like years worth of used movie ticket stubs that we had you know tacked up on bulletin boards and things like that and other kind of ephemera that you know shit that just gets thrown in a box and you forget it was there and that's probably how this happened. But yes. So um, the HF Festival, just looking at the uh, at the inside cover of the program. Um, one day, two stages, so it's a lot like, uh... It was like Lollapalooza, like Lollapalooza. But, but smaller. Mm-hmm. And actually, if, well, I don't want to, don't, I don't know, don't hold me to this. I could have sworn the HFS Festival had actually been around longer than Lollapalooza. It may have been, it, it would be, that would be something I'd have to look up. Um, I know Lollapalooza was started, like, our freshman year of high school? Or our sophomore year of high school. 
but was the I, I don't remember if this was the time. Remember, it was it existed and then it took a break, and then it came back with Metallica. '96 was the year the Metallica headlined Lollapalooza, because yeah. I remember um, because Lollapalooza at Lollapalooza in the mid '90s. Um, for anybody who's who's too young to remember this, <laughs> was a touring festival. Yes. Now Lollapalooza is is pretty much like what the HF Festival was, where it's one day in one city. It's in Chicago. Yeah. Um, now, well, and now it's now, completely overshadowed by Coachella. Yeah, Coachella and then Bonnaroo yeah. and Burning Man and all these things. But uh, but but Lala still in Chicago. But at the time, Lollapalooza, because you had this was like the, this was the the dawn of that age of the tour festival. So you had Lollapalooza, um, the Horde Festival, which was the one that Blues Traveler I think put together, the Warped Tour. And Lilith there, I think those are like the big four when you think about the mid to late 90s and rock festivals. And I remember my friends got tickets to Lollapalooza because they were all pumped to see Metallica, even though this was the year Metallica totally, supposedly sold out because they released Load and Cut Their Hair and Yeah, they were on the I cover mean, of uh, Rolling Stone, Stone and all that. Yeah, so this was, that was a big deal. But they, you know, to a person, they all loved that album back then. Um, the other thing where I'm from... We had the concert series at Jones Beach, which is a lot like going to Merriweather Post or uh, it was the Patriot Center back then. I think now they call it like Jiffy Lube Live or whatever out in Fairfax, mm. where it's oh, just a series. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I know, but it's the series <laughs> of concerts, and I, you know, I went to a few and, and and stuff. But but this is but this was kind of, this was unique in that sense that it was that that one day thing, and. Uh, Let's talk about the program itself is is one of the most nineties not not just the band lineup, but the actual I'm gonna scan pieces of the program and put it on the on the yes. blog because the actual program from the layout to the font to It's very it's very reality bites. Yes. It's very collage mm -hmm. for sure. I'm reading the um the intro. I love it when it's like, please be a pal to those around you. Don't be an asshole. The blanket toss is fun. Unfortunately, people get hurt. Don't make us turn this car around. But actually, what's funny is I was reading this because I don't have my glasses on. I'm blind as hell. I thought it said, please be real to each other. And I was like, that is, that is some 90s BS right there. Be real. Um, so I was incorrect. It's be a pal, which I don't think is much better. So, But this is a very 90s lineup. And actually, I have to say, I'm pretty damn proud to have attended this one because there were some really good bands on here yeah did you um could you possibly see like did you have to run back and forth between stages i mean how how did attending this festival like this because i have i like i said i've never been to a i have never been to a concert where more than one band has been playing except for it like being in succession because there's an opening act in that. So, so yeah. a, a festival is a totally foreign idea to me. So this is what happened. We had tickets for like seats, like actual physical mm -hmm. sit your butt in the chair, RFK stadium seats. And we were goody two shoes because neither of us had been to a festival before. So we went in and we got there and we sat in our seats and we were sitting and we were like, Oh look, blah, blah, you know, watching people walk around. And then we spotted a couple of people from high school, of course, because that's how it is. And my friend who 
well, I'll just say he was more outgoing than I was. We went down there, um, down to the lawn, basically, uh, in front, right in front of the stage, and we ended up staying there most of the time. We did a lap or two, but so I'm gonna be totally honest. I did not see a whole lot. We saw Dishwalla on the second stage because you know what's accounting. Blue cars. Blue cars came out, and so we we watched a little bit of that. We watched a little bit of Jimmy's Chicken Shack because I had seen them in Charlottesville when I, at UVA earlier that year. Yes. So um, we watched a little bit of that at some point, but because uh, my friend didn't really like Cracker, and they were on at the same time on the main <laughs> stage, so we wandered over the second yeah. stage. But there was also all the stuff. So one of the things it mentions that jogged my memory is they had like this action area. Mm-hmm. It was the HFSL Action Fair. I'm, re- I'm, I'm cribbing from the notes. Yeah. A, like 150 nonprofit groups, mm-hmm. like environmental, social conscious, whatever. So um, we wandered around that because I remember Chris got this like big ass Goodwill tote bag that he was like wandering <laughs> around with. And so, um, so yeah, there was like, we, we just kind of did like a couple laps. We looked at the second stage. We didn't watch the second stage a lot because truly once the gym blossoms came on, <laughs> so 90s. Was it Jim Blossom's came on, man? We, were, we just parked it on the lawn and watched everything. Mm-hmm. Here's the kicker. And I don't know. I mean, I'm old, so maybe. I could have sworn the Foo Fighters pulled out of this show. Maybe they did. I do not remember seeing them. And I was there for the whole thing. I was there for freaking Goldfinger. So if I was there for Goldfinger, I was probably there for Foo Fighters. They may have pulled out. Like I said, um, one of the one of the acts that was on the stage um, that is not in the program was Jewel. And you have a very spe- specific <laughs> uh, memory of Jewel, uh, which is on YouTube, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna put that up, put that on there. Uh, so what is that? Uh... That memory. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for teeing it up so, so eloquently. Um, so, yeah, we didn't know she was going to be there. So obviously she wasn't on the program. She wasn't in the lineup. And this is this is a hazy memory because there was a lot of, um, you you wanted me to tell you what the festival is like. Well, down mm. the lawn, I mean, if you didn't get a contact high, you just weren't, <laughs> you weren't awake. So it was, there was a lot of... Um, pot and other drug use happening down there so um but i i do remember it it might have been i want to say it was after let me see the sorry let me see the program again so Mm -hmm. yeah so garbage and no doubt were kind of far apart so i think it was between either no doubt and everclear or between everclear and cracker it was during one of these breaks i'm like looking at the order of events here um but she came they were just like you know ladies and gentlemen please welcome jewel and everyone was like Oh, all right, clap, clap, whatever. And she comes out, and we're expecting her to sing, like, you know, Who Will Save Your Soul or something, I don't know, whatever. I think Foolish Games had come out for Batman and Robin, or was that a different year? Foolish Games was 98. Who Will Save Your Soul was... Was was the big breakout hit. Okay, so I'm just um, That wasn't, not the Batman and Robin. The the one after, same album, though. Okay. um, Uh, You Were Meant For Me. You Were Meant For Me. Okay, that's the ballad. Okay, doesn't matter. We're boring everyone. So anyway, she comes out. And she decides she's going to sing some protest song. I don't know what it was, to be honest. It was like, she sung it before, too, because she sung it at other award shows. So that was the other thing. You're getting up there, and you're going to sing this earnest pro whatever song you wrote about 
social injustice or that you've cribbed from someone else. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And you're saying it very earnestly. Well, people were, you know, as I mentioned, there's a, people were tossing each other in blankets and people were on people's shoulders. Of course, it was hacky sack because it was the 90s. (laughs) And, you know, people were just throwing shit around. They weren't like, nobody was being menacing. Mm -hmm. Well, people were playing Frisbee. Mm -hmm. And somebody flung a Frisbee and it flew up on stage and hit Jewel right in one of her big boobs. And she got pissed and stormed off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> she was just like, thank you, and like stomped off. Thank you. And it was kind of like, you know, she doesn't even go here, so who cares? <laughs> Bring out the next group. And the next group was garbage, so who fucking cares? Like, Jewel yeah, got hit exactly. in the boob with a frisbee. And, you know, by Felicia. Bring out, like, yeah. you know, Shirley Manson, who killed it. They were amazing. I'm so... I'm, I'm, I actually remember that set very well. I remember No Doubt, too, because, you know, Gwen's really, like, acrobatic and... Mm-hmm. you know active and that was fun that was you know right you know that was they were supporting tragic kingdom and you know it's a great yeah. that's a great cd so had, <laughs> great had, album. Um, had just had they was this was this was the uh this is june 1st so they were what weeks away from absolutely exploding like in terms of popularity no, or they were, they, had, were I mean, they already they were like um don't speak it already i don't know if don't speak it already come out but spider webs had come out mm-hmm. and just, just a girl, a girl had, had been, been out, out. While, yeah so yeah i don't know if um don't speak had come out just yet don't speak was the one that just got don't because don't speak was the one that got played on adult contempt stations and yeah that's what that's the one that like mix 1073 picked up yeah. and played ad nauseum so um and my memories of what was popular and what was on the radio and what people were listening to in 96 are fuzzy. Um, because I remember a lot of the songs that were, um, so a lot of these bands, and I remember hearing them on the radio, but you listen to a station like HFS or, or whatever, and they're playing stuff by, say, Dishwall is a good example. Oh, so don't speak, sorry not to interrupt. It's okay. Don't Speak was released in April of 1996. Okay. So that was, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, you know, I, I remember some of these bands being on the radio, but like, you know, talking to people who were outside of like, you know, the area back home and being like, well, well, what's that band? What's that song? And then like, lo and behold, like a month later, and I'm not trying to sound like a hipster or anything, but like a month later, it starts popping up on radio up you know, in New York or whatever. And so it was just kind of, so my, my recollection of what was, and plus I, you know, you know that actually happens a lot now. Um, whenever I'm on the West coast. Mm-hmm. So I go to San Francisco every year, although not anymore because I quit my job this week <laughs> and I'll be starting a new job later. But I used to go to San Francisco every year and mm-hmm. we'd hear, cause we'd play like KTLA or what I, I don't know even whatever Ryan Seacrest's uh, mm-hmm. station is. Cause that's what my coworker likes to listen yeah. to. So we'd hear these songs and I'd be like, you'd hear them ad nauseum. And then I'd come back to the East Coast and I'd hear them like, like two months later. Yeah. Like everywhere. Because that's what actually happened. So this is a huge diversion. But that's what happened with Thrift Shop by <laughs> Macklemore <laughs> and Ryan Lewis. Because I kept hearing this song. Because remember then they played on Saturday Night Live and we're like, who the hell is this? Yeah. And I'm like, I've heard that. I heard that in San Francisco. So that still happens where you'll hear yeah. it in one area of the country and then it blows up in a different part. 
so in addition, and, and it's just interesting to see. So I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the program here, and the first group to go on the we're talking the main stage, eight o'clock, no, eleven thirty in the morning, last act, eight fifty five in the evening. So this is an all day festival, and in addition to Jewel, and you said the Foo Fighters, you can't remember if the Foo Fighters. <laughs> Were there? Isn't or that not. terrible? No, that's not terrible. It's I mean, terrible. But like I said, these things blur together. I promise, I love Sorry, them. Sorry, sneeze won't come out. Oh, nice. Uh, all right, but so in addition to Jewel, Jewel, and you said the Foo Fighters may or may not have been there. And the, the interesting thing is that you have, and and we're between the two of us have. Every single Foo Fighters album up to a certain point, and the point is, I think that point is not when we stopped liking the band, but when we actually stopped buying CDs yeah. altogether. I haven't I'm, I'm, bought a CD in yeah, a million years. Yeah. So, so we have like quite a bit of, but you have Jawbox, yes. Lush, mm -hmm. Gin Blossoms, No yes. Doubt, Everclear, Cracker, Garbage, The Presidents of the United States of America, the Afghan Wigs, the Foo Fighters, and uh, Goldfinger. And that's the main stage. And on the second stage, and of course, Jewel was in there somewhere. Um, for, <laughs> for, for, for a moment. For, for five minutes. <laughs> for, just enough for a frisbee. Uh, Hal and Maggie, Solution AD, Guided by Voices, who I had heard of. Yes. Um, Dishwalla, Jimmy's Chicken Shack, Girls Against Boys, and Fred Schneider, then of the B-52s. The yes. And I think we'll just we'll, we'll probably go band by band of and just kind of go sort of kind of sort of page by page through this program because there's because we gotta call out some of the ads like oh, there's, a, the there's ads. a there's a D there's a Dave Matthews ba a band ad in here yeah. so that like you were saying there's other um, um, so this is Waxy Maxies I guess the, <gasps> Waxy Maxies Waxy Maxies was a local record store yes. in the DC area all right um, and this is subliminal plastic motives. That sounds awful. The debut release from from Self, featuring Solo and Canon, and these guys look like every other band from the 90s. every other band from the nineties. They kind of look like the band who they, was at the Battle of the Bands in your high school. They also kind of look like Jane's Addiction. A little bit like Jane's Addiction. One's definitely got a, a Perry vibe going. I'm cracking up though at the Molson Ice uh. um, ad at the bottom of this page. <laughs> I got a plan for tonight, and the plan is to have no plan at all. Maybe I'll send my left brain on vacation for a while. Maybe I'll let my soul be the boss. Maybe I'll stay out a little late. Maybe I'll stay out a lot late. Maybe I'll go to a party uninvited and dance with every woman in the place without touching the floor once. Maybe I'll go to a city that never sleeps, and maybe I'll put it to bed. What are you going to do? Bolson Ice, step outside. Remember Ice Beer? Yeah, I don't think ice, ice Beer has survived. Ice Beer is just not good. Yeah, so we have Jawbox, um, a band that, that I apparently had done a cover of Cornflake Girl according to this program. Summary? Yeah, the summary of who they are. Well, they were a veteran DC quartet. <laughs> Here's the bull BS thing of this lineup Goldfinger was the headliner. They made Foo Fighters go on before Goldfinger. 
Maybe that's why the Foo Fighters maybe didn't the, show. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. If I were Dave Grohl, I'd be like, um, look, I was a drummer in Nirvana. You all can go for yeah. yourselves. Well, let's let's start with the bands that we that we don't have to like be like. Well, who is that? Yeah, or yeah. Sound like his Jawbox and Lush. I I remember. Yeah, not I don't really remember them at very all. much. Um, but we could get we could start with the Jim the Blossoms. Blossoms, who I had actually seen. Um, I actually saw in '96 because they they played Loyola in April with Dishwalla as their opener. Um, mm. And um, for a sparsely attended concert, because uh, they were kind, they were on their second album at that point. That was uh, Congratulations, I'm Sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, that album did not do as well as Mis- Miserable Experience did. I think one of their band members had committed suicide at one point the year before. There had been something had happened, and um, yes, but they were they were kind of on they were on the decline. They did not they really didn't survive. I think they're still kind of kicking around, but they didn't really survive the nineties. And then, um, but they were a halfway decent band. Do you? What do you remember of? I don't remember a whole lot about it. I mean, I remember that you know they, they we're gonna hit this string of bands, and I think the reason why they were all were pretty successful at this concert was because they played the songs people knew. Yeah, Like, true. they might throw in a cover here or there. Like, I mean, the Jim Blossoms played Found Out About You. They played Hey Jealousy, mm-hmm. and, you know, that got a great response. I mean, I, God, I remember careening around in my friends' cars, blaring that song yeah. at top that was a That was a... <laughs> in high school. That was, like, radio-friendly alternative rock, like, in the very definition of the of the word, the, that Jim Blossoms album. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, so... Yeah, so uh, sadly, I don't remember a whole lot. <laughs> I, I have to just be real. No, that's just... And that's still... A, their first album is still an album I'll listen to every once in a while because it's... Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be deeply disappointed because I don't remember, like, tons of very specific things. Although I do remember one of the things about Everclear set that was pretty cool. Okay. Um, but anyway. We can talk about that, but we can talk about just the music in itself. Yes. So we can talk okay. about the... We can talk about. I'm not used to podcasting. No, so. no, it's okay. We can talk about. Uh, we can talk about no doubt in the context of just how good of an album Tragic Kingdom was. So we don't have to talk. And about how sad it is that so, like so it's kind of a Gwen walk. Stefani now just dates Blake Shelton, uh, and that's pretty much all she does. So it's kind of like a walkthrough of uh, of music in the summer of '96. With this is sort of our jumping off point. Gotcha. So that's what I was thinking. So let's do it. Um, all right, so. So then, um, next in the next in the list here, and like I said, we're just kind of flipping through the program here. Was no doubt, no doubt was easily one of the biggest bands of the summer of '96. I'm to the point where people were copying. Yeah, they were dressing um, like dressing Gwen like Gwen Stefani. Um, my my friend Chris um, had a huge crush on her, um, and in fact went to see. I don't know if it was before or after. I want to say after this went and saw No Doubt and Bush together, which is the tour that Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale started dating. So, um, but he loved her and she, um, that, it was good. It was energetic. Again, they played all the songs they wanted to play. Gwen did a lot of like jumping around acrobatic stuff and Mm. everybody got up and jumped around to just a girl and you know, they, it was, it was a good solid set. They did a really good job. Yeah. I mean, that and that that's an album that's twenty years old now, and yet that's a 
good album. It does not sound as dated as some of the later, not even their later stuff, just some of the stuff from later in the decade. The, the stuff from later in the 90s, and maybe it's just, maybe it's our age talking where we're a little more nostalgic for some of the stuff in early in the 90s because we were teenagers as opposed to later in the 90s, but some of the stuff later in the 90s sounds very dated. Yeah, well, because there's... the rock. Yeah, the rock. Well, and even, again, as a hip-hop R&B girl, there are certain songs I'll hear now that I'm like, wow, that is really a throwback to, like, late 90s, early aughts. That's sort of, like, where you get, like... It's that Timbaland effect where Mm -hmm. it's, like, you're going to have, like, a crying baby in the background or, like, a (laughs) video game, like, beep boop, kind of like a Busta Rhymes kind of thing. And um, what song? There's some hip-hop song out now that I was like, wow, that sounds a whole lot like the early aughts like it could have early, easily been that and now of course I'm blanking on it but um but anyway so yeah I think um when you think about like Tragic Kingdom I could I could listen I could listen to that now. I mean there are definitely shades of like that sort of mid-90s feel to it but honestly I gotta say like a lot of it when I think about a lot of these bands I think about their videos and mm-hmm. I think sometimes for me that's what makes it seem even more of that time because when you think about who was directing videos back then for bands like this, it was like Mick G and uh, yeah, that Mick. other dude I'm blanking on, Steven, whatever. Um, and so... Yeah, um, and Mick G, you could always identify a Mick G video because of the color saturation. And it was very kind of um, almost like Busby Berkeley kind of-ish. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, everybody knows what a Hype, Hype Williams video looks like. Yeah, or a Mark Romanek video. Yeah. And, and well, so, don't forget David Fincher. I mean, yeah. and now all those people are doing movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Some more successful than others. I'll never forget my jaw dropped when we went to see Little Miss Sunshine, and it said that the directors were Dayton and Ferris, because they're the ones who did the Tonight Tonight video for the Smashing Pumpkins. So they've done like a ton of music videos, and I was like, what? Um, and Tamara Davis, who directed Billy Madison, did um, Umbop for Hanson. Hanson. So, uh, and she, didn't she direct Wayne's World? Or am I thinking of somebody? No, 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 that's um, Valerie. Um, uh, Penelope, no, Spears. Penelope Spears. That's what it Penelope is. Penelope Spears' yeah. big claim to fame besides Wayne's World is was... that documentary. Uh, yeah, The Decline and Fall of Western Civilization, yes. yeah. which might be on Netflix by now. I, I know they finally, it's one of those documentaries I've always wanted to see, but it's never been really available, because especially the metal one. So anyway, but I mean, I think the thing that makes... Tragic Kingdom, sorry, and now I'm... No, 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 that's fine. They, uh, their music, I think, is so... The only thing that's kind of a little dated about it is because, um, you know, it was that whole ska thing. Yeah, And it's got a touch of that. But they're not as ska-heavy as, say... Yeah, it's not like the real big fish or something weird. Or the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were about a year later, and that was... Or Sublime. Yeah. Now, there's a band I listen to all through... Sublime and 311. Mm -hmm. And... There are very few Sublime songs I can still listen to today. There are very few 311 songs I can still listen to today. Yeah. Um, so, and I can still listen to Tragic Kingdom, no problem. And then Everclear. Everclear, this was, I think, right between This was right after albums. Santa Monica It was right came after out. Santa Monica, and then it was about a year before So Much for the Afterglow came out, which was... But they're more mainstream. Yeah, and which was the, an even bigger, because um, Sparkle and Fate had, had Santa Monica, and I think it was the one, that was the one huge song off of it. Because I remember their, um, their follow-up song was an interesting choice. I cannot remember what it was called. I just remember the chorus was something like me and my black girlfriend. And I was like, yeah. huh, that's an interesting <laughs> choice for you. I mean, not the fact of 
whatever he's stating about his relationship, I was just like, it was it was a quirky song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had you know obviously no problem with like whatever, no, no, but no, no, yeah. you know it was just so because Santa Monica was so catchy. Yeah, and then the second single was really kind of quirky. The, and... According according to this, they also released a song called Heroin Girl. Oh. Which I think I remember as well. Oh, God. And but, that's when we were still in that 90s hangover of heroin was actually... Yeah. The, um... Chic. Yeah, the heroin chic stuff. In the early 90s is so, um... As much as I do enjoy... Enjoy the music from them, from that era, it's so much heavier in terms of its its use of guitar and bass. And it's it can be very, very, very fuzzy. Plotting and very fuzzy. And, fuzzy and crunchy. And, and this had a more of a... You know, even this had this. Everclear always had a lo-fi punk vibe, as opposed to say, um, Green Day, which was still heavy but had that very, very fast. Well, guitar Green Day and, was and, very punk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Billy Joe Armstrong was British until he started talking, <laughs> and I and then I was like, what the hell really is that? Clash. Apparently, he just really wanted to be um, yeah. and then a in year, the Sex Pistols. But then a year later, they'd have like Father of Mine and um, uh, Wonderful. Uh, is it Everything Is Wonderful now? Yeah. And, or were those on the same album? Or were those on the same album? Um, I will buy you a new life. I'll buy you a new life. That's the one, the That's, one yeah. I'm thinking of. Um, you know, and those and. Everything I was wonderful now, I think, was an album after that. Maybe. Like, they all blur together. That's because, the one that also gets played a lot on adult yeah, stations. Yeah. And then, um, and then you move on to Cracker, who has, like, what? One song? Two. Two? Oh, yeah, Teen Angst and Low. Low. But, because <laughs> I don't think Get Off This had come out yet. That mm-hmm. was on a different album. Okay. But, you know, Cracker was, I mean, I love Low. I will still listen to it. I have the I have the single. Do you have the CDs? Oh, the CD! Or... I must have gotten fancy that day yeah. and bought the CD single. But um, I, I still I still love that song. And they were um, I think they're from Richmond. Some, yeah, I was like they're a Virginia band, yes. so I think that's why. And they would come to Charlottesville a lot. Like I've seen them. I've actually seen them a couple times. According to this, they will be on tour this summer with another Richmond, Virginia band, Sparkle Horse. I remember them too. I do. They. You have to remember all these bands played around UVA all the time, or you could go down to the Flood Zone in Richmond and see them. That's a good point. Uh, Baltimore would get its fair share of bands playing the Baltimore Arena or something. Or there were a couple of clubs here and there, like Hammerjacks, which is no longer in existence. And um, well, that's like our beloved tracks like yeah. in Charlottesville. Yeah. R.I.P. Now you're a parking lot. Yeah, they really did pave paradise and put, put up a parking, parking lot. lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we go from Cracker to Garbage. <gasps> God, I, which, I still love that band. Yeah, and um, I think they're making a comeback now too. But they had um, their first album, which I think was just self-titled, right? Yeah. Was um, with the pink. Um, and what was great is so the one detail I remember, and this makes me sound like a dirty person, but it was just funny after hours in the heat and booze and everything else. Mm-hmm. So Shirley Manson, because she had, you know, there's that pink feather boa kind of background on the garbage seat yeah, cover. Yeah. Well, so when she was touring, she had a stand microphone and there was like a pink puff of feathers pretty much right where her bush would be. <laughs> and it was hysterical because here's this redheaded, sassy Irish chick, like her Scottish chick, you know, screaming out these things with this big, standing behind this big pink feather bush. <laughs> So it was it was hysterical, like some of the pictures we because it was like perfectly placed. But their set was so good. I mean, they were a great 
they were a great band. I mean, they still are. Like, and they had they had enough hits at that point that you know, obviously, they didn't have like um, special. Wasn't that because that was their second yeah, album? But you've got. But they had like um, the first garbage album is really good. Queer. You have stupid girl. Stupid girl. I'm only ha only happy. Only when it rains. rains. Yeah. Um, milk. Milk is great. I mean that. I mean they're it, all just great. Their sound was a lot different than than what was. It reminded me a lot of. Point. It reminded me a lot of Portishead, mm -hmm. and so I kind of like because like when Queer came out, it was it was actually around I think around the time Nobody Loves Me by Portishead was kind of coming out at the same time I think or maybe again my '90s are all just blurring together. But what I liked about both of them and the Sneaker Pimps, which were also big around this time, mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of that atmospheric kind of like music and I mean I was also the other area of interest in my musical history was club music um uh -huh. there that 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 broad umbrella of yeah. you know what you would hear and so I just always really liked it and even now today when I hear something like when um the band of Fantagram like they mm -hmm. had this song that was playing on the corner which is our I guess modern rock station yeah. down here but the minute I heard it again, I was like, oh my God, this could be playing when I was in college. It was such mm -hmm. a throwback. And um, so I, yeah. I really And what's interesting that. is that like, you know, they were like other bands that weren't hitting as big because I think the predominant female rock act at the time was Alanis Morissette. Well, and Hole. And Hole, which was not... Well, and L7. Yeah, but like Hole and Alanis Morissette were... Luscious were, Jackson. Were screaming... Rock, yeah, punk influence. Well, Alanis and, was Canadian, smoothed out rock for the yeah, masses. But, but but the, yeah, but the but the garbage <laughs> had this sort of sexy feel to the to the music that you're right was was um because it wasn't necessarily wasn't softer. It was well, it wasn't like here's a right. It wasn't like here's a woman in the front of this band. It she was just a part of the band. So yeah. and I think actually I think it was kind of cool to have garbage in no doubt on the same stage that day. Mm -hmm. Without it being like you know friggin' Little Fair or whatever, yeah, I kind of have beef about Little Fair. Little Fair was very <laughs> hippie granola to begin with. I mean, I mean, I'm a feminist and I'm all about, of course, giving women yeah. the stage. But I, I don't know. I just I didn't like half Lil the acts that were Little Fair. Little Fair, Little Fair was very very folk oriented, mm -hmm. and I mean it had fair. It it, ha it would have the occasional. Um, we got like Liz crossover Fair. act and stuff like that, but it was it was very very folk oriented. Yeah, we have the presidents of the USA who that was hit definitely huge the quirkiest band with uh, Lump and then uh, Peaches. <laughs> yeah, and other than that, um, now you have their you have their you have their first album. I do, and I don't know why. I think I just had it after that after that first album I, I can't think of any um i think they broke up didn't they they did a cover of video kill the radio star for the wedding singer soundtrack yes 
other than that, I don't remember whatever happened to that. I think band. they just broke up. Yeah. They retired or whatever they did. But that was, they were a quirky band. Um, and the thing I mentioned that Everclear did that I thought was fun, they did a cover of American Girl. And for the longest time, I thought it was the, pre like in my memory, it was the presidents Presence. that did it. But it was, I know for a fact it was Everclear that did it. So, um, but yeah, they did a good job. I mean, you know, it was fun. It, you know, it was getting late in the day. They were on later, like, mm -hmm. what's it say here, six. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the natives were getting restless. So it was kind of nice because, like, when Lump came on, you know, it's a high-energy song and, mm -hmm. um, you know, what have you. So yeah. it, it was good. Again, they played, they, they stayed in their lane. They knew what to play and they played it. Yeah. The Afghan Whigs, to me, at this point, would have seemed like a grunge holdover. Because hmm. they were... Um, I have like one song of theirs on a soundtrack from like 1994, I think. And it's very 1994. It's very, you know. I hate to say this because I'm sure, I, not that I ever had any indie cred, but now I'm just going to completely torch any I had. I don't remember this at all. <laughs> this might have been when we were wandering around. It's very possible. Um, when I started putting some stuff together to uh, to take a look at you know, what the music was. It was very, it, it sounded almost, I don't want to say Alice in Chains-ish, but it sounded very, Oh, but I loved Alice early. in Chains. But it was, it was, um, it was more like early 90s college radio type of stuff. Yeah. So, you know. And then you have the Foo Fighters, who at that point were still riding on their, um, Big Me Big had Me. come out. Yeah, yeah, first album had come out the year before, and, and the color and the shape would be about, I can't, I can never remember if the color of the shape was 96 or 97. I want to say it was 97. Uh, with monkey wrench and um, yeah you might be right and but uh but the foo fighters is probably the most one of the most local bands to the hf festival because at least with dave grohl because dave grohl was out of um he grew up in Roslyn. Yeah, yeah arlington and in fact i always i'll never forget that it was like one of those VH1 shows, like before they were stars or some shit, and they were showing like old home movies that yeah. Dave Grohl had Them shot. running around the, the Boston, Boston Common Mall, Mall, which apparently now is undergoing renovations once again. <laughs> so um, it's just not going to work. Good luck, just, good luck, Mall. Yeah, like try, stop trying to make it happen. I know you have a metro stop, but I do know that they were um, uh, during the concert, like throughout the day, they were flashing up like trivia and stuff, like up on the the big board or whatever mm -hmm. and one of the pieces was you know how many people have you run into today who said they knew dave Grohl when he was in you know when he was growing up in arlington or whatever so yeah and that first um those first few foo fighters has always been a band to me that is defines consistency yeah they like even even in the albums of theirs that i didn't listen to as much as others they were they were never disappointing it mm -hmm. always felt the album always felt worth worth buying it was weird when at one point or another they were trying to they were making that shot for the title the biggest band in the world at one point mm. and it never seemed that uh, they you, were ever suited to that i don't know if they do you think that was intentional i don't know i mean it just seemed that like they were kind of it being put, i don't know if it was i don't think it was, it was them, them driving it, it i think it was just, just sort of, we have a dearth of quality rock acts yeah. that have been around for long enough that aren't like the rolling stones or yeah. whatever um even though Zeppelin's superior, there I said it. Um, but um, yeah, I I think I think a lot rests on them because now they're like veterans. Yeah, you know, and yeah, and we don't really have good rock bands anymore. None of none of that stature because 
Not that appeal to that many generations. I mean, yeah. look at... So, the funniest thing was last year when the tickets went on sale for that Foo Fighters concert on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Everyone my age had a ticket to that show. Like, in the area. All my friends. So, like, on Facebook, it was like, got tickets, got tickets, got tickets. And actually, that show... Damn. That would have been a nice sort of circle of life moment yeah. to, like, go to that show. <laughs> because the lineup looked really awesome. And it was in D.C. and the Foo Fighters were there. Maybe this time I would have remembered it. But, um, but yeah, they... Uh, I mean, everybody, I mean, they, they appeal to so, like, a, a big swath of people. Yeah. And, um... Plus, I heard the documentary was amazing. Although it was very heavily lacking women. The one last year. Oh. You know, they have the, that album inspired by, like, all the different rock cities. Oh, okay. It was, like, a I'll series. Check that out. No, it was on HBO. I... <laughs> yeah, this was, this was a band that it's, it, I don't know why it took me... I look at these bands that I know I have I have either because you know we combined our CD collections at one point in our relationship or because I just you know I started listening to them. but there were a lot of bands that I came in like on the second album or a year or two too late and and like I said the my freshman year of college is this blur when it comes to music it was like I was basically begging, borrowing, and stealing from anybody around me because everybody had so much different tastes in music than I did or my friends back home did. My friends back home, in retrospect, had pretty shit taste anyway. But the point being, I could sample a lot of different things. So I was sampling a lot of stuff that had been out for a while. And uh, the Foo Fighters kind of passed me by because their album came out, you know, right as we were going away to college or or just, you know, in 95. And I wouldn't really pick up on them until... uh, 96 and I had not been that huge of a fan of Nirvana in high school I mean I liked Nirvana but I was more into Pearl Jam so I wasn't as hyped up for the Foo Fighters because it you know yeah and um and you know it's it's like a to use an old phrase of broken record at this point, but I think my lack of MTV also kind of contributed to my being pretty out of touch with what was very popular in music (laughs) And MTV and BET, yeah. both very formative yeah, so, in my teenage years. Yeah. And uh, granted, I had friends who were listening to some of this music. I knew who Goldfinger was. Okay, I have and, to just read. Goldfinger's... <laughs> I, I, so, in the summary of this band in the program, quote unquote, hyperactive love songs for people on Ritalin is how the Southern California punk ska band describes their debut album. See, that sounds like my worst fucking nightmare. <laughs> like, just burn this thing to the ground. It just, it That's sounded, not what I want to listen to. This was this was in that first wave of punk post-Dookie where, where a lot of bands were sounding similar yet different. It wasn't as bad as the wave, that wave of punk that came out post the rise of Blink-182. Uh, where every band was like an exact carbon copy of Blink-182. At least there was some differentiation between like Goldfinger and Everclear and... Um, uh, like you're saying, the Boston's. The Boston's and, and stuff like that, and Green Day. I mean, there you could tell, with the exception of a couple of things here and there, you could tell one from the other, but there came a point in the late 90s and early 2000s where... That happens every time, though. Yeah, you could, with you everything. could not tell like one band from the other.
And be, I'm amazed that they were the headliners and not the few fighters. Well, they're saying... I was actually just reading that again because it's like, they've been chosen to close the oh, show. Oh, they were the closers. And I'm like, all right, well, what's the friggin' difference? I mean, yeah. it was just... And actually, I will admit, we left early. Okay. Because they started playing and we were just like, nope. <laughs> and we got up and left. <laughs> now, before we get to the second stage here... Um, we have uh, we have a couple of things here through the through the middle of the program. There's another Waxy Maxies ad. Yes, with, them and Kent Mill Records. Yeah, uh, which is where I bought my first Stone Temple Pilots album. I don't think either of these places is in business anymore. No. Kent Mill might be around. I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, and then we have. HF Festival. You have an HF Festival T-shirt, or you had one. I had point. one. I don't, I don't know, know what happened to it. it. It might be in a bin somewhere. Probably. Um, only $15, which yeah. is amazingly cheap even back then yes. for a concert t-shirt, let yes. me just say. And it had all the bands listed on the back yeah. and the same logo as the program. Yeah. But here's... God, this is so 90s. So there's all these different tiny t-shirts with a big t-shirt in the middle of the HFS logo. But we have conformity, T-E, mediocrity, reality, stupidity, dishonesty, irregularity... Puberty, responsibility, cruelty. This is painful. See the full line of the, of HFS stuff at Kent Mill Music Record and Tape See, Traders. See, Kent Mill! Record and Tape Traders. I remember Record and Tape Traders. Uh. Um, or call 1-800-HFS-STUFF or check out HFS Stuff through America Online. Oh, keyword damn. HFS. You've got t-shirts. <laughs> so, like... Did the t-shirt come with a free AOL CD? <laughs> oh please! I could have tiled my floor with all the free AOL CDs we would get. Although I will say that blue ink on a black T-shirt, they did not think about clarity. Yeah, it's really hard to read this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. That's that. That's that painful moment where you do a print piece, a collateral, and you realize like what looked good on the screen does not look right <laughs> in print. Yeah. I, I know that pain all too well. Yeah. We have an ad for the 97 Ford Escort LX, which whatever. Um, there is a DC Rape Crisis Center uh, PSA. Yes. It's um, important. Although, again, tiny type on a dark background yeah, does not it, really help. It's a... It's not like one of those classic ad council PSAs we used to put in the college paper uh, when we couldn't have ad space and we needed to fill something, which usually had a picture and they had yeah, you know, yeah. headlines and stuff like that. Well, I mean, but, there's that. Okay, so here, again, yeah. I'm not to criticize a rape crisis center, but where the hell's the phone number? It's all the way at the bottom right-hand corner. See, that's a bunch of bullshit. Put your, fo um, put your or phone there's one number here up too. there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in, in tiny white type and a black background, 202333-RAPE, and... But, you know, and, and there's still... Um, and I'm sure what a rape survivor wants to dial is 202-223-RAPE yeah. to get help for being raped. I mean, God, use your yeah. brain. Well, then there was the, the PSA. Like you said, there was the, the Body Shop Action Fair um, presented by the Congressional Hung Hunger Center. And it, um, and there were, uh, let's see, AmeriCorps right. anti-hunger. We are boring the hell out of yeah, your so, audience right now. Anyway, but in the middle of this, I just <laughs> wanted to point this out. There's the festival map, which is drawn like somebody. It looks like our crumb knockoff, right? Yeah, it does. And it's um, it's like, you know, hey, here's all the stuff. And it's done in this sort of like 
the youths are going to think this is cool looking sort of way. I can't imagine this was easy to navigate using this map. Well, as you can <laughs> tell by its pristine condition, I did not use it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so we get to the second stage and here are some, there are some bands here that I can't tell you anything about any of these bands. We have Hal and Maggie. <laughs> Sorry. Who, I think they were only on the stage cause they were touring with the Afghan waves. Yeah. I don't know. This is Howl and Maggie. Yeah, it's a lot of noise. That's <laughs> yeah, the end of Get the song that was on my. Yeah. <laughs> Solution AD, a band that I again that I'd not heard of at all. But this, these are second. I guess it was rare that um, that second stage bands would eventually make the leap to a main stage. I mean, I just feel like half the, you can almost tell by the name whether a band's going to actually be successful, give yeah. or take a couple of you know, outliers. Yeah. Who wants like Solution AD or like... Are Loud you Lucy, who was, who was listed, who was scratched, but, but in, in typical like, you know, hey, this sounds like cool, which <laughs> was uh, on the disabled list, according to, um, you oh, know, because we sound really cool when we say that. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being snarky because there are bits and pieces of this program that sound like very, very trying too hard. That's what happens um, when your marketing department writes it. Yeah. Well, the the um just to just to note where the page number is, it's inside of a of a flower typographic that was That's very very um, grooves in the heart. Yeah, it's it is it is of the time. Um, Guided by Voices, a band that I had heard of and I'm not that familiar with in terms of their. I think they were around for a while. They though. still might be around. Yeah. And then Dishwalla, which had um, Counting Blue Cars. We said, tell me all your thoughts on God. Cause I really like to meet her. Ask her why we're who we are. Came out in two versions because they had the album version, which was, um, and then they had like an unplugged or acoustic version mm -hmm. that got released, and both of them got their uh, a really heavy amount of airplay throughout the song. They're they are very much a '90s one-hit wonder, um, and uh, I, the the one thing I will always remember about this band is, uh, aside from actually seeing them and and having a press pass for that concert, so getting to meet them, and they were nice guys was driving around in the summer of 96 with the radio on and Melissa being in the car. And every time the chorus would start, the chorus goes, tell me all, tell me all your thoughts on God. I'd really like to meet her. And every time, every time she'd be like, her, her. And we'd all, we all be like, yes, Melissa. You so say, the, really like to meet her. The Melissa that you're <laughs> referencing is our friend Melissa Rosano Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. And so she did that. And then Melissa was also my sweet mate first year of college, which is how we met mm -hmm. you and I. Yes. Um, 
And so, yes, she she had other musical habits like playing the soundtrack to Reality Bites or Giant Little Pill every single morning of every single day of first year of college. So I'm blow drying my Rachel Green shag cut to the tunes of, you know. Ironic. Ironic. <laughs> So, um, did she get into the Indigo Girls at one point? Because no, that was everybody me. got into the Indigo Girls no, in college. That was me and my my very lovely my actual roommate, not my mm -hmm. sweet mate, um, Sarah Maxwell. Um, she was very into the Indigo Girls, mm -hmm. um, and so that's who yeah got me into them. Yeah, and then um, the last three the last three acts on the list here: Jimmy's Chicken Shack, Girls Against Boys, and Fred Schneider. Fred Schneider, of course, being the the male part of the uh, from the B-52s um, and uh, he does uh, lately I've heard him he does a radio show on the Sirius XM New Wave channel um, Girls Against Boys is not a band I had heard of at all um, and Jimmy's Chicken Shack as I mentioned I'd seen before I knew who Jimmy's Chicken Shack were eventually because of you yes uh, oh here is Girls Against Boys right here okay I don't know if this is from 96 or not. Yeah, it sounds like something I'd listen to in the 90s. Yeah. I could... Yeah. I could... I could... I could see this being played on a TV show or a movie during a party scene where something is going to go wrong at the party. 90210. Yeah, like a 90210. Donna's about to fall down the damn stairs again because she's a klutz. Yeah. And this is playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and she's about to get beaten up by Ray again. Yeah. Damn it, Ray. That is a very 90s guitar lick, though. That, it's reminding that, me that of something progression. else. And I can't put my finger yeah. on it, but anyway. Jimmy's Chicken Shack, I knew because of you, because there were there were a few bands that you and um, your roommate when I met you, Emily, yes, listened to it was Jimmy's Chicken Shack, uh, Two Skinny Jays. Yes, Two Skinny Jays. Um, they actually did a show together. That's how I saw them. Gravity? Well, we listened to a lot of Sublime. Sublime, okay. <laughs> Which I had heard of, uh, I'd heard and heard of. And we're going to move beyond the HF Festival in a second just to flip through this program. There's some retro spectacus type of. Um, uh, At the beginning of the festival, you all received a small ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a bunch of pictures from people who had performed 
in years prior, you have Henry Rollins. <gasps> God, I wish I hadn't missed that. Uh, Gavin, Gavin Rosdale, uh, PJ Harvey, or who is PJ Harvey, who is mentioned, who is listed here as Holly Harvey. So the funny thing about that, I think that was the year before or mm -hmm. two years before. And so apparently, like, so HFS would always kind of drag out their announcement of the, the lineup. Like, they'd announce, like, a new band every day. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then that year, they were, like, that was when Pearl Jam was really big. Mm -hmm. And so the guy, like, gets on the radio, and he's like, so you ready? Here comes the next band. I think you guys are going to like this one. It's got the letter letters PJ. And all my friends start wigging out, and he's like, that's right. PJ Harvey, and we're all like, what? Because <laughs> we thought for sure they were going to say Pearl Jam. <laughs> so, sorry, PJ Harvey. We were really disappointed you were going to that show that year. Just a little Jimmy's Chicken Shack yes. for you. Now, I could have sworn this is used in one of the Kevin Smith movies. It sounds like a... It sounds like a Jay and Silent Bob rocking it, out outside. It sounds... That was... A, the, the Jay and Silent Bob rocking outside the quick stop is a stabbing westward song. Okay. This sounds a lot like... It's not a Jimmy's Chicken Shack song, but this sounds a lot like the song that is played... When Randall and Dante have the fight yes. at the end, it's the same very kind of guitar thing, but it's not. Um, it's yeah. not Jimmy Chicken Shack, but the song is called "High." Um, Probably why they're screaming "High" or whatever. Yes. Uh, also in here, uh, General uh, Ranking Roger of General Public, which had done that. Um, they had done that cover of that Staple Singer song. I'll take you there mm -hmm. for the threesome. For three songs. Yes, yes. Uh, you got Courtney Love. Well, of course, Iggy Pop, which they, like, you know, kind of yeah. beat to death the fact that Iggy Pop has performed at the HF Festival before. Yes. Um, Gordon Gano of the uh, of Violent Femmes. You've got Adam Duritz. Tony Bennett? Wow. Was it, that around the time of the Unplugged album? Yes. Or when he did that thing with Katie Lang. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, Front and center under the, over, under the word retro is uh, Joey Ramone. Yes, rest uh, in peace. Then we have an ad for the Tool album, which is a black field with the word Tool. This is the band I never got into. Oh, God. That and creepy video with that stop them. motion puppet or whatever yeah. the hell it was. I couldn't watch that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something quite possibly one of those 90s things. <gasps> Rock the boat. Rock the vote, choose or lose 96. Vote Clinton. Mm hmm. Then and now. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hey, what's up, what's up? This is Chuck D talking to you about power, real power, the power that you have. Now, you might not believe that you have it, but you do. What is power? Can you feel it, see it, hear it? Nah, but you know it's real when it's against you. You're the same way. You got to let them know that you're real. You got to exercise your right to vote and let them represent you. So let them feel you. Let them feel your power. Vote. What's up, Black? How you? All right. Do your thing. Vote. And then uh, here's the thanks page, the Hyundai Accent, uh, your typical sponsors page. I'm trying to think if there's a, um, the HFS programming guide. 
where um, I used to listen to this station on dri drives down to see you. Mm. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anybody I recognize in terms of the actual. I used to listen to the Flashback Cafe if I was. Uh, and Modern Rock Live. And we Modern used Rock to Live, yeah. And Love Line. Oh, Love Line. Was that um, Adam Carolla? It and was Dr. Dr. Drew, yeah, back then. It was yeah, around the time MTV started airing it as a show. Okay, yeah, because uh, New York had Love Phones, which was Chris Jagger and. Dr. Judy Kuriansky. So fun fact, Chris Jagger DJ'd my eighth grade middle school dance. Oh, that's funny. Not even kidding. I, I had a Doritos water bottle signed by him. <laughs> and there's another Waxing. Waxing Maxi's probably bought out all the ads. Proud sponsor of the Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, so that's a good segue into just talking about some that's of the That's when other Crash came out. Yeah, cra so. this is the summer of Crash, and this was the only... This marks the only time I've ever seen Dave Matthews in concert. So another fun fact, the cover of that CD of Crash is designed by my old boss at Silverchair. That's right. Information Fane Systems, Fane mm -hmm. Kerner. Yeah. And um, Dave, if you're in Charlottesville, I don't think you're required to like Dave Matthews, but... He's going to be here whether you like him or not. Yeah, and, and people in and around Charlottesville, it's... You you hear his music all the time on the radio, but we everybody has their one sighting or two sight like or ten. You are yeah, <laughs> you're you're bound to run into him or or Boyd Tinsley. Um, yes, it, or um and um Carter Beaufort was uh, trolling around Stonefield when yeah, they were here right. for the uh, <laughs> ran into my friend's mother-in-law. They were friends in high school. Yeah. By the way, just really quickly, Jawbox. That's 90s. <laughs> what? Wait, what is that picture? It's a guy with, um, yeah. stop moving. I'm not you. Is he giving somebody a shocker? No, I, he, it's a finger gun. Oh, up against their head? Up against his head. Okay. So apparently I have a dirty mind. Sorry. I couldn't tell what it was. It's very grunge. It sounds um, a lot like 311. It does sound a little bit like 311. And right. kind of grungy, too. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Thank You. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no. Um, down. Down. It sounds like Down. Yeah, it does sound yeah. like Down. Um, yeah, so Dave Matthews Band was... was um, they were on tour this summer. They, I don't think they were doing any of the festival things unless they were hooking up with like Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler was still pretty big at this point, too. But um, I saw B&B at Jones Beach probably right around the same time this this concert was going on i think it was early june and they only had the two they had three if you can't remember two things but most people had under, under the, the table, table. And dreaming yeah. and then crash had come out but i had lots of friends who had remember two things i had friends who had picked up remember two things after under the table had come out we're going to take a quick break at the moment um and then when we get back we're going to talk about some of the other acts that were huge in the summer of 96 that uh, weren't on the program. And yeah, so stick around. I can't believe that we were
You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Film Cast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. So, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we were talking about Dave Matthews Band, and Dave Matthews, I had this conversation with, um, we were at, I was at work, and, uh, like, we're sitting around in the department in, at lunch, and we're talking about, the topic on music, the topic on Dave Matthews Band, I think it was around the time they were having that 25th anniversary concert they had. Yes. Where and, I spotted him at Seville Coffee. Yeah, and some of the older people were like, oh, you know, some people were like, um, some of the older and younger people were like, oh, I was never a big fan or I never saw the appeal. And I remember looking at, at one of my, my co-worker, Jamie, and saying, and just looking at him and I said, you know, there are so many people I knew in the college who had Dave Matthews because that was the music you hooked up to. Yeah. And he was just like, that was... And that's the thing I always think of, especially with Crash. Yes. Because Crash is like, Crash um, Crash Into Me, Say Goodbye, a couple of the other songs, and then I think Satellite would have been one of the other songs on the other album that... I don't think I could have hooked up to Satellite. I don't think anybody could have hooked I, I, But I'm trying to think of the slower songs <laughs> yes. that people... But Crash... What cracks me up, though, is cr- trying to hook up to Crash is like the most literal... Yeah. <laughs> It's less subtle than a Marvin Gaye song. I mean, it's well, <laughs> but it's 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 it, the funny thing is, it's not that bad of a song either. No, it's a good song. Yeah, I actually like my. I mean, if you're gonna hook up to a Dave Matthews song, tip to everybody, "Crush" is the best one. Mm-hmm. Which is off of the their next the album after this, which was before these crowded streets. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that has a really cool. It has the saxophone, like, saxophone kinda, like and it, bass line. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a little moodier. It's, it's. I think it's better. Yeah. So I mentioned um, there's a Miller Lite ad on the back of this. Um, of I mentioned we were back when talk- a, back when Miller and ABI actually had market share. <laughs> I was. Um, I was gonna. I was. I was mentioning that I was gonna, and I can put. I can turn the Spotify playlist off because I don't need. Uh, we don't need to listen to Jewel sing Who Will Save Your Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you're going to turn it off after 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, 
So I was going to make, we just wanted to talk about some of the other acts that were big in 96 because, you know, the HF Festival was not the only concert anybody would go to. Did you go to any other concerts that summer off the top of your head? Or? No, that was my only concert that summer. Because I went to... Because I was working, so I, I don't know. To be honest, was it was too. like, well, and my mom was also, I mean, love you, mom, but she was hella paranoid about everything. So we actually, I mean, I spent most of my summer, we went to this concert and then I spent a lot of time clubbing. Mm. <laughs> so. I went, I spent most of my summer working because I was working at the beach, but I, I remember going to four shows all together. Um, Dave Matthews, uh, was it three? It might've been three. I went to see Ozzy Osbourne that summer. Ew. I mean, you know, to each their own, but that's not something I'll pay money to do. I remember why. I think I, I think, I think the girls with time wanted to go, and I was like, "What the hell? It'd be pretty cool to just say that I went to an Ozzy Osbourne concert." Because back then, Ozzy Osbourne was still known as the kind of a more notorious yeah. act. Well, it was before the Osbournes came it out. It was. I just I don't remember much. I remember him having giant water guns and spraying the crowd that were in the seats close to him. I remember him jumping around, performing a few Black Sabbath songs, which were basically the only songs I really knew aside from Crazy Train and a couple others. Yeah. And I remember that they had guys going through the audience with video cameras that they were plugged into the jumbotron, and girls were taking their, lifting up their shirts. Classy. Including the the handbag who'd been in front of us of, in line to get into the concert. She was living the dream. It was don't mm, harsh her mellow. It was Long Island, um, <laughs> and we saw Hootie and the Blowfish. And my sister and I had pulled money and gotten my mom tickets to Huey Lewis and the News at the Westbury Music Fair. So we went as a family. That was actually an amazing concert. It was really, really fun. Huey knows how to get down. Mm -hmm. mm. That was really good. Bet. So, so my concert going experience was not anything that was like you know on point as far as '90s acts goes, except for probably Dave Matthews Band. Well, I had been invited to go see Alanis Morissette again with Chris, and I for some reason couldn't make it. I don't remember why. Yeah. And he came back, and he was so mad because he was like. He uh, he was like all she did was walk up and back and forth on the stage on the stage like it did, she didn't like actually like do anything I was like well what'd you expect her to do like bust out a choreograph routine like she was singing songs yeah now, was really he going to like was he going to like Mary the Post or was he going to like the the Cap Center or the nine thirty uh, club or no it wasn't nine thirty it was um shoot I don't remember okay. it it might have been whatever. The Verizon Center was back then MCI Center, okay, something like that. I don't caps. I don't know. Okay, I don't remember. Um, but I mentioned we mentioned Lollapalooza toward the beginning of the show and uh, how Metallica was the headliner, and how this was the summer that they supposedly sold out because Load came out um, to much fanfare because they hadn't put out a real album since 1991. Uh, they'd been more or less touring. Really? Yeah, the the, the what 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 has become what has come to be known as the Black Album mm -hmm. came out in 1991. Um, in '94, they put out a live box set mm -hmm. called Live Shit Binge and Purge. It was about a hundred dollars. 
God. It was, because um, I remember Brendan McCauley had it, and it was, the box set was, I think it was three or four CDs, like two videotapes, and it came in a case that looked like uh, a, a tour case, like, you know, you would open up that you would have tour equipment in. Like a roadie, I call it a roadie case. And that thing was, it was enormous. And it had just all these, you know, like an entire concert and then all this stuff, other stuff. And they toured on that and then they came out with Load and they would come out with Reload a year later or so. And it was like Metallica goes alternative and it was this whole shift. And I think the other huge act um, was probably the Pumpkins. Yeah. I don't know what they were doing. If they were well, Melancholy was... About the year before, Melancholy had come out. But they had because it at was the, so. Twenty five, right? Right, but I mean, they had so many songs off mm-hmm. of it. I mean, like it was, you know, a double CD opus. Yeah. So I mean, they kind of, you know, they had they had singles coming off of that for for a while. Yeah, I think nineteen seventy nine was a single. That was in this summer. That came, well, no, I could have sworn it came out like in the winter, like I like January or something of '96. It was released. Yeah, it was. It was. Do I have it right? You are correct. Hot January damn. 23rd, yes. my parents' wedding anniversary. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago, but I can remember that it came out then. January Bullet with Butterfly Wings, 1979, and then Zero. Oh, that's my favorite. Which was April 23rd. Tonight, tonight, June eleventh. Yes. Muzzle. August. Thirty-three. So now they're now they're releasing stuff that I don't remember. Um, but the big ones, yes. Yeah. So tonight, tonight being, being that. So then they got heavy play. Well, it's it had that amazing TV. video. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think if there were any there were weren't any movies out that had. Big soundtrack songs in the way that Batman Forever had the previous year. Because Batman Forever had two songs that were huge hits in 95. Um, that U2 song. Hold Me, Throw Me, me Kiss Me. And Kiss, kiss from, from a Rose. From a rose. <laughs> oh my god. It's, you know, if it hadn't been played to death, I'm sure that was... People would still think that was a good song. I think that's the was best that, way to put it. But was this the summer that um, that song from Don Juan DeMarco or whatever came out by Brian Adams? Oh. Um, have you ever really loved a woman? Have you ever really loved a woman? Good God, they played that a lot. When those adult contempt stations or... Um, when they get their hooks into something, oh they just... Oh my God. Remember, um, let's fast forward to, uh, was it 99? Smooth. Yes, Santana and Rob Thomas, mm-hmm. like to the point where, um, no, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman was April 4th, 1995, but you're right about that song. That song But was, that was still... They were still being played. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> they were still playing it. Yeah. You know, between their between their their usual rotation of, um, of Kiss from a Rose and Jack and Diane and... Something from... Chicago. And so they were Chicago and we built the city. Peter Cetera. <laughs> Peter Cetera. Thankfully, Bolton had um, Bolton had disappeared from the airwaves more or less and Celine Dion was still around, but but Titanic was not for another year and a half. So But you know, I've kinda you know, that's a good point. You never hear a Michael Bolton song. It was Anywhere. after that. It was it was that. Um, I think what actually killed it was that 
copyright infringement or the plagiarism law. Remember he was sued by, was it the Isley Brothers or somebody? He was sued by an old act Hmm. for plagiarizing one of their songs and I think they were successful and around that time and even and like his one album tanked and yeah he just um he just disappeared from completely flamed out uh I'm looking at other now I'm looking at other um trying to think of other bands that were big back then and trying to remember what I was listening to and I think I was kind of all over the map at that point um I know that being I'm sorry, go ahead. And being that it was Long Island and being that Z100 was the big, um, is the big top 40 radio station in New York, I remember hearing shit that you'd find on like a Jock Jams album. Like No Diggity? No Diggity. Um, like the Gina G. That was big on Long Island for yeah, y'all. Oh my god, that pumping out of a teal blue Ford Mustang at Robert Moses State Park. Mm. Three girls with their Marlboro lights or their parliaments coming out of the beach. Yeah, that's but peak just, Long Island. They just had their hair and nails done. Oh, this is true. Uh, well, you listen to R&B and you listen to hip hop and stuff, and yes. I completely, you know. I was, I went back in, when you met me, I was like the whitest kid who ever whited, so. Well, I mean, I'm what, pretty pasty myself. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, I, I didn't, Not I was like... just no, I had nothing, no knowledge of anything. I think the closest I got to rap was the Beastie Boys. Yeah. And, and we were between ill communication and hello nasty anyway, so the Beastie Boys were really. Yeah, intergalactic you know, hadn't. Yeah, out, there was yeah. nothing really new unless you were listening to old Beastie Boys albums. So was, what do you remember about Oh, God. I the hip-hop back then. So this is what's challenging, and this is where we may have to do some Googling, because I feel like a lot of my summers between years of college kind of blur together. Like, I can't remember. It's hard to remember specific years when... I can't remember, like, when um, Diddy's first album came out. Um, well, he was Puff Daddy then. Uh, when Biggie died. Like, when uh, I'll Be Missing You, I don't remember when that came out. If that was the summer after, or if it was that summer of 96, or if it was 97. Because Tupac died later. He died after, like, right around the time, he died after California Love came out. Mm-hmm. So I can't, and that was like, that might have been summer of 97. So it might have been 96. I just remember that video opening with Diddy Puff Daddy falling off that motorbike and... <laughs> I want to say that was 97. I know that. I, I just, know that video. I just know that it wasn't quite yet when Mariah got woke and like became an R&B diva. That was the summer you and I started dating and Honey yes. came out. Butterfly. Yes. Butterfly came out and Honey was the single. Yeah. And suddenly she had realized her full potential. Yeah. Um, Tupac died first, right? No, I could have sworn Biggie died first. Well, Tupac dies on September 13th. Of 96? 96. 
I could have sworn Biggie died first, but maybe not. I could be wrong. Whoops. Let's oh, see. I got it right here. Bear with our silence. Uh, Biggie he died. He died on March 9th, 1997. Oh, Biggie so died right. second. The tribute, the tribute came out in 97. But yeah, you're okay. right. But, so I got my years flipped. But Sorry. it's not, it's not, un, but it, it makes total sense that everything blurs together because you're still listening to the same stuff. Well, because I'm thinking about, you know, so again, California Love was a huge song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, any kind of, when we were talking about the Hype Williams video, so like any Busta Rhymes video, like put your hands where my eyes can see, yeah. you know, any of those, like, I mean, just played them all the time. Yeah. Um, but I know you had like a list, like a chart pulled up of like the top... I have the I have I have the Wikipedia page for um, music in 1996. Oh. So I have I have biggest hit singles. Mm. This is when Wannabe hits. Yeah, I remember. And Umbop I think was around the same time yeah, too. Because I was like, what the hell is this? Celine Dion. Because you love because me. You love yeah. Me. Now I have to point out, and let's just pour very 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 quickly. Which talk was from about a the, movie. That was from. Wasn't that from that Michelle Pfeiffer yes. Robert Redford movie? Yes. Um, the number one song of 1996. We all know what it was, just say it. The Macarena. I mean, this was inescapable. Yeah. Completely inescapable. So I've told, well, and when you were putting this episode together, I told you you're going to have to talk about it because, yeah. like, no matter what, it's the elephant in the room. But And then I was telling you how actually it was a disappointing version of the Macarena because when. We would go and dance. There was this one fraternity that was always known for having the best dance parties. That was Pi Lam. Shout out to Pi Lam. You're probably still, you know, whatever. Maybe you're still good. I have no idea. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we would go, and one of their brothers was a really great DJ, and he would play all this, like, international club music, all this, like, European stuff and whatever. One of the songs he would always play was the Macarena, and he taught us the dance. And so I took my friend Chris, there's a theme here, like running through like high school and like my mm. first year of college before I met you and actually had a date to this stuff. Um, we went to my first year formal and the song started up and all the girls jumped up and did this dance and Chris was like, what the hell is that? Like he's like, what just happened? Because we just jumped up and did this dance and like the Macarena played and it was really fun, and then we sat down and whatever, and he was just like, what the hell just happened? Well, and I'm like, that's the Macarena, don't you know what it is? And he's like, no. And the great irony of this is that, because I, I knew when we started dating, we would hang out at Chris's a lot. Yes. And Chris always is, was the one who reported to be in the know but he was the one who knew everything. Like you know, I just think just kind of this was completely know. off his radar. I, it did, <laughs> if it didn't have to do with like Madonna, he yeah. just didn't care. And so like... He, um, so yeah, he had no idea what it was. And then I remember I woke up one day, like one morning and I flipped on MTV because of course I did, they actually played music then. And the video came on, it was the Macarena and I was yeah. like, holy crap. So I picked up the phone and I called Chris and I'm like, Chris, you have to turn on MTV right now. I'm this, I'm validated. This is the thing. <laughs> and, um, and then I didn't realize how inescapable it would be, but it was, it was a lot more fun when it was all in Spanish and there weren't like the stupid girls going like, oh my God, he was so cute. And I was so whatever, like talking through that the- That rarely works in the song. It was bad. And yeah. so like it, the original Macarena didn't have that. It was just like a fun little song. You did your little dance and you shook mm-hmm. your butt and you were done. It did. It wasn't like what it became. Yeah. But anyway. Um, 
And I the cool one story, thing, me. No, no, the one thing I remember is just this random thing because um, the team that shall not be named won the World Series that year, and at one point their their grounds crew used to come the out. Braves. No, that's the team, unfortunately, who lost. Um, <laughs> the grounds crew. Wait, I out. thought we won. No, we won in '95. That's what it was. Cleveland. Finally, um, finally, they would come out. The grounds crew would come out during the seventh inning stretch or whatever the heck they would do the comb the the base paths, and they were known for coming, stopping between like second and third, and dancing to YMCA. Mm-hmm. And at one point, what's um, more American than that? Well, at one point. They switched the song to the Macarena, and the team that shall not be named started losing. <laughs> so they went back to YMCA, and so I just remember that um, the Mets weren't particularly great that summer. Um, that summer, hey, because you love me, number three, Wonder Why. That's right. Um, what's the story? Morning Glory was out at this point, and Wonderwall is the the song I like I the most like- out of that album. But I feel Wonderwall came out that also came out in the winter it came out in like December or January right it did according to because it was playing at like non-stop me, during winter break way, so it had been out Oasis yeah. had been around I was just looking at the biggest um, the biggest songs of the year were the ones that I was looking at Wonderwall was uh, November 95 to yeah, early 96 Children by Robert Miles. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know. This, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I'm not familiar with this one, and I'm not seeing where it was. All right, top hits off of a record. Top hits on record. One, two, three, four. Something new by. Yes, Coolio. Get your woman on the floor. Wanted by Tupac and Snoop Dogg. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, the Wallflowers. Yeah, they would start coming out. Um, Six Times New Heartache, I think, came out toward the end of the summer. So, Aeroplane, that was when, um, Mm. what's his name, joined the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro. That was off of One Hot Minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that was in the spring. That song is terrible. That's not, that. that's around the time I stopped really caring about the Chili Peppers. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's all mixed yeah. up by 311. Yeah, mixed up. That was um, when they finally went mainstream. Always Be My Baby was still around. Well, I think, I think that came out in 95. Five, right? yeah. Amish Paradise. Barely enough. Breathing by Duncan Sheik. Yes. Boy, he really came back, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Big, yes. that, well, the video for Big Me was that the Futos commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Mentos. Um. Oh God, no, 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 I can't, I can't, please don't. And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany? She said, I think I remember the film line. As I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's the one thing we got. It's 
she said I think I remember oh, that film. Oh, God dang. I really hate that song, and you put that on a mixtape for me. I, I should have broken up with you. I love you. Uh. Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Rage Against the Machine Empire came out this year. Bulls on Parade. Oh. That was played a lot. Oh, my God. Rally around the family There's with a, a pocket full of shells. Yeah. <laughs> There's California Love. If I could just mute it and look at Tom Morello, yeah. that would be fine. A, a song off of a, um, off of a soundtrack, Change the World by oh, Eric Clapton, because that was that, but that, with Babyface, right? Yes. Off that John Travolta movie. Yeah. Phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he was, was the psychic guy and the... Oh, God, I, didn't see I don't movie. know. His wig was probably on point, yeah. though. Biggest movie of the summer was Independence Day, but I don't think that had a song associated no. with it. Blur. Closer to Free by the Bodines. Party of five. Rock a party, not yes. crashing to me. Yep. You know Phil Collins is still there. Is that? that oh shit! Don't look back in anger. That's that's a. Um, yeah, I don't. That and Champagne Supernova. I actually hate both of those I songs. I do not like the song Champagne <laughs> Supernova. Um, don't speak, which we are talking. Yeah, there's Down talk. by Three Eleven. You have a Live and Joy CD somewhere. Probably. Uh, Either that or I have it yeah. on Jock James. Ebo the letter off of our, uh, that was off of New Adventures in Hi-Fi and R.E.L. Mel and that, um, it's almost like the forgotten R.E.M. album. It was the follow-up to Monster. Mm. Um, Every Day is a Winding Road by Sheryl Crow. Oh yeah, Sheryl Crow. Uh, Dog's Eye View, Everything Falls Apart, I remember that song. Oh God, though, that Beatles Falls song apart. off the, when they released that, um... Mm. Freeze a bird. Yeah, that the anthology. Were, yeah, the anthology. Oh god, they Plan Nine Records played that commercial ad nauseum, and they, they kept playing a clip from "I'm the Walrus," and I'm just like, oh my god, I hate this band. Which I know I shouldn't, but when you've seen it enough, <gasps> Fuji's. The Fuji's. Was this? This was the score, this right? This was the score. Yeah, I mean, this was this was the album. Because "Killing Me Softly" was out. It was out between, I could have sworn it was out between um, senior year of high school and first year of college. But maybe not. Because Killing Me Softly is the one that came out, that was the single that came out. That was big and it was being, I, I know it was being played still in the summer of 96 because I remember at one point it was on, um, it was being played on the... <laughs> It's being played on the radio in the field office at Moses, and some guy who had been obviously working there way too long said, I hated this song back in the 70s when it came out, and I hate it now. It no, it's out. amazing. And it's a really good The score cover. is great. I mean, that, and the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. I'm so bummed that Lauryn Hill is like crazy pants, because mm -hmm. that whole that whole thing was great. And... Yeah. Yeah, but I just remember, well, I told you this limit before because we've been together for almost 20 years. But, like, 
Killing Me Softly was one of the, they would not release the single. And I don't, and now I don't know if it's because they couldn't get the rights from Roberta Flack or what, but like they would not release the single. So you had to buy the entire album to get the song, which was fine yeah. because the entire album was great. Um, but yeah, God. And, yeah. and the Fugees played UVA the fall of my first year and I, dummy of the year, did not go. I'm sorry. Because I'm a stupid, stupid person. Uh, Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. That that still gets played. Mm-hmm. Um, not a bad song. Though. That was her comeback. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. How bizarre. <laughs> that will always remind me of um, Undeclared. When the roommates are like fighting and they like bond oh, over that and Enrique. Yes. Well, they don't bond over how bizarre that one girl hates that the other yeah. girl plays it. How do you want it by Tupac? Yes, I remember that. Oh God, I believe I can fly by Arkell. Uh, no, I can't. There, so that was, there was later a, in the year. With so that Space was from Jam. Space Jam. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm. I love you always, forever. Got played a ton. Yes, they played that because oh we. Oh my God. The um, radio station we had to play at the PX where I worked on Quantico Marine Base the mm -hmm. summer between my first and second year of college. Um, had played B one hundred one. Point five, which was like a Fredericksburg station, and okay. it was adult contemporary. Yeah, and yeah I'll, I know you all. Uh, I love you always, forever was always mm -hmm. on. But um, wait, no, if they um, so go, if it makes you happy, that's one. I want to come over, Melissa Etheridge. I mean, there's just like all this. Yeah. Um, Interstate love song, Stone Temple Pilots. That was that their was big. Sticking, they, were, they were still kicking around with that, yeah. and then they would come out with another. It's killing me softly. Yeah. This song. Well, because they're an alpha order. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> no, I mean like you know. Because that because that album had been out for a while. Let's make a night to remember. That's the Brian Adams song I remember from 1996. Yeah, oh, lounging. Yeah, by Cool J. Around. Um, Madonna was a couple of years away from uh, from Ray of Light at this point. I think mm -hmm. she was still riding the Evita high, right? Probably. Naked uh, Eye, Luscious Jackson, the Goo Goo Dolls, No Diggity. <laughs> Like the way you work it. <laughs> no, the Fuji's covered "No Woman, No Cry." You yes. never hear that version anymore. You really don't. Well, it's not that great. Well, the, I heard the Bob Marley version today. Well, I mean, it's because that station plays nothing. <laughs> One in a million by Aaliyah. Yeah, headlight. One headlight. That was. Oh God! One sweet day, Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. Open arms, Mariah Carey. Although I will always want to hear Steve Perry sing oh, it that instead. Butthole surfer song. Oh, I don't. I don't mind the sun. Oh, no, no, no. Sometimes. I don't want that stuck in my head. That's terrible. Um, I don't mind the sun sometimes. The I can taste you on my lips and smell you in my toes. Cinnamon and sugar and softly spoken lies. You never know just how to look. Pony by Genuine? <gasps> yes! <laughs> Ooh. We have the rise of the Backstreet Boys in the end of 96. This is where you can tell the late 90s. Oh, yeah. Beginning. Quit playing games with my heart. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a song I remember. Return to the Mac by Mark Martin. Return Marvel. to the Mac, yeah. Uh, Salvation by the Cranberries. This is... I just want to point that out because according to most radio stations these days, the Cranberries seem to only ever record two songs. Yeah, Dreams. And... Um, 
linger. Mm. And yet there's this whole album known yeah. to argue where you had Zombie. And Zombie you had, was great. You had a few other songs that were really, really good. And we never, ever hear them. So much, so much to say was the second That was song. second. That was Was great. it Too Much was the first song? Of too Much, yep. So much to say was the second. Standing Outside a Broken Phone Booth with Money in My Hand by Pretty Pretty Radio. They pretty, pretty, still pretty. play that on the corner. Ugh. Stupid Girl by Garbage, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, The Crossroads. Oh, my God. I hate that song. You don't like Bone Thugs at Harmony I don't either. like them at all. Well, that's because Easy e was a punk. Theme from Mission Impossible. That Did I actually chart? I don't know. You're yeah. the one with the Wikipedia list. Yeah. They Don't Care About Us by Michael Jackson. Mm. Tonight, Tonight, Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Twisted by Keith Sweat. And Break My Heart by Tony Braxton. Yeah. That when she was... went full Barbra Streisand. Oh, that video. They, that VH1, fabulous dress. VH1 ran that video into the ground. Okay, Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai. That, um, that got, that was on the 97 MTV Video Music Awards. There's a band I love, and I'm sad they broke up because mm-hmm. of whatever reasons, but. Yeah. Vertical Horizon was around back then. My sister just went to see them. Oh, why? I don't know why, where she was. Or what that. I got by Sublime. Yeah. Of course, they got a Warren G song on here, but it will never be Regulators, <laughs> which is far superior. Where it's at, Beck. Yes. Thinking who you are. Yeah, Pearl Jam came out with no code this year, and it, um, I don't want to say it flopped, but it, it did not do as well. This this started um, that string even of know what Pearl that Jam albums that that was in the late nineties. Is that when they were fighting Ticketmaster? Or yeah, this is around the time they were fighting Ticketmaster. <gasps> uh, See, woo got you all in check. <laughs> I love Buster Rhymes. Natalie Wonder by Natalie Merchant. Oh God, and here's the Atlanta stuff. Yeah, the yeah you stuff must love me tough. by Madonna. That was the that was that one was, of the additions to Evita. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, so. 96 is like 95 96 are such a weird transition here because by the end of the year you have the rise of you have the rise of the teen pop through the spice girls and then the um well it's really just spice girls and backstreet boys and hansen a little bit yeah it doesn't blow up until trl ruins all of our lives yeah and that's what 97 into 90 i'd say like 98 and 99 Mm mm-hmm because I'll never forget watching, they used to have that show on MTV called Fanatic, mm-hmm. where it was always like, here's a super fan and they're finally going to, yeah, like, yeah. they did the parody on SNL where um, Molly Shannon played Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this one girl was like, I love this band called Sync." 
and they're a great band and helped me bond with some relative over in Poland. I don't know what the hell she was talking about. I can't believe I remember this. And then they went bowling with NSYNC, which means the chick went bowling with Justin Timberlake and like the other dudes. And so like, and I remember watching it one night and I'm like, who the hell is this band? What is an NSYNC? I don't know what this is. Like this must be some rando European band. And that's who they were. <laughs> I don't want to end this on NSYNC. <laughs> I really don't want to end this on yes. <laughs> This is what you get for bringing me on your show. Sorry, I ruined everything. <laughs> no. But, um, the 90s were... Sometimes I think more than the 80s were like a really interesting time to, to, to be a fan of music because it's so eclectic well you know we as did, a decade we didn't even talk about i know we're talking about hip-hop and stuff like that but we didn't even talk about a 90 a very 90 because I, I was just thinking about you know the 90s for me being like a very earnest teenager were about like because i had such diverse musical interests it was really about that sort of earnestness about like social change and mm -hmm. we're going to be different we're going to be the generation that really changes things whatever and being socially conscious and so one of the bands we didn't talk about is arrested development but kind of by the time we reached they were this done point, by the time. well, they were touring, but they weren't really putting out like mainstream mm -hmm. hits anymore. But they were yeah. they were a great band, and I remember my coworker Jeff telling me that he met his wife at an Arrested Development concert. Oh, wow! And they would go find them on tour every year to celebrate having met. That's funny. And I've actually seen Arrested Development. They opened for En Vogue. When I went to see them in 1992, Funky sophomore Divas. year of, oh yes, Funky Divas had been out and it was fantastic. And so it was me and my aunt at the, at the um, DAR Constitution Hall before they tacked the DAR on in front of it. And um, I was like, a, as you mentioned, probably the whitest white girl that ever whited in an incredibly <laughs> not white audience. And Arrested Development opened for them. And so, you know, and Vogue was very much like a girl group. I mean, yeah. they were like the new Supremes. And so they had a wider appeal. And Arrested Development opened. And they opened with this very much like we are, you know, very socially conscious. Mm -hmm. Getting back to African roots. Breaking the the ties of slavery. And, you know, I'm I'm glad I went. But I remember at the time feeling like, Oh my God! Should I even like? Should I even be here? Like, I feel like I have no right to be here, like witnessing this because this is some heavy shit. And do I even have the right to be here consuming this entertainment? Yeah. And um, but I'm really glad I did. And then um, and then of course, Envogue opened and they were fantastic. But I the thing that sticks with me, Envogue was great and they were lovely and it was nice. But the thing that will always stick with me was Arrested Development and feeling like. I think that was really the time where I was like, holy crap, you know, you've got a lot to learn. Hmm. And so, thank you, Arrested Development, for opening my mind. So that, there, is that better that's than a much better. That's a much better note to end on than NSYNC, because the 90s as a decade did not end up on a very, very good and note. And I still love Tennessee. I would listen to that anytime. Tennessee's a great it's song. It's a great song. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for thank you for coming on and sitting down with me. In fact, I'm ruining your show. You're not ruining my show. In fact, I'm probably going to be playing Tennessee as this goes out. So, um, all right. I'll be back in uh, just a little bit. I never had once felt so lost. I 
know you're supposed to be my steering wheel. Not just my spare tire. So Lord, I ask you to be my guide force and truth. For some strange reason it had to be. He guided me to Tennessee. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987 and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's Kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. And I'd like to thank Amanda for coming on and talking about music with me. Uh, I will be back before the end of August with an episode that features Michael Bailey, and we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite movies of 1986, which is Stand By Me. So check that out in a few weeks, and until then, go to the show notes. Uh, there'll be videos, there'll be clips, there'll be scans of the HF Festival program and all sorts of 1996 music goodies. And also go to the blog for the occasional blog post, essay, etc. And leave comments, comments in the Facebook group or send me an email. And until then, thanks for listening and take care.
Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. This is how we are.